something and just fuck that up. I don't need this. I don't need all these things. You're um, not my mom. <laughs> you think you're not my mom. Uh, so, I think we should start with a little apology to the listeners. Uh, we were a little late on our From Beyond episode because Fraser was selfish enough to get engaged. Ooh, boy! Yeah, um, that's, that's exactly what happened. I got engaged, and also, I mean, it was the Friday the 13th episode, so it was bound to be cursed. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no! Uh, it was the Monday the 15th episode. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like that's also when Jason Voorhees does his taxes. Yeah. You know, he's not gonna count kills on Friday. He's in the, living in the moment. That's true. And you were living in the moment. I was living in the moment and Asking, I proposed. Yeah, your sweet darling to marry you. Congratulations. She, Thank you. She, she did say yes. Yeah, she did say yes. Okay, excellent. Uh, Congratulations. I did, it, it happened on the top of a mountain and it was quite beautiful. Was it also quite cold? Uh, it was rather nippy. Uh, it's winter time here in uh, bright and sunny South Africa. Look at me. Look at me in South Africa. We're, we're still loving it. Yeah, living my best life. Except for, you know, that episode, uh, Unlisted Owner, which came out between From Beyond yeah. and now. Uh, so this is like a month in the future. Yeah, this is, this is, no, this is, this should be two weeks from now. We're recording this the week that Unlisted Owner releases. Oh, are we? Yeah, dude, Matt's. I got, I got it on paper. <laughs> I did the paper maths. You got I can't it. keep up with the schedule. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to write it down. So uh, this week, uh, I went to the dentist because I'm doing all my mm-hmm. health, sh- health stuff. And as my good friend Aristotle once said, teeth be lit, fam. Yeah, um, that is a quote from Poetics, I believe. Mm, yes, must be. <laughs> Um, so how are your teeth feeling right now? Uh, very sensitive and um, if I sound a little funny, I might still have partial facial paralysis from what they done to me. Okay, well that should make this an interesting challenge for you. Mm. Everything's an interesting challenge for me. <laughs> Just living. Yeah, I feel you fam. <laughs> Alright, so that brings us to the end of uh, Fraser's interesting challenge hour. <laughs> Now on to our B-side production. Be Positive. The Positive B-Movie, B-movie Podcast. podcast. Yes. Recorded in the past, served in the future. Uh, stuck in the present. Stuck in the present. We're always, I don't know, what's it called? We're always at the cutting edge of the present. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're like a tech company, but also like a Buddhist monk. Okay. I don't, I don't see how those two things are related. Uh, okay. So this week, <laughs> we're discussing uh, Repulsion by Roman Polanski. Uh, and just a quick content warning up top for sexual assault, uh, both in the film and in, in R- Roman Polanski's life. In Roman Polanski. Yeah. Yeah. This was before... He became a, a rapist, right? Yeah, this is uh, 1965. So this is his first English language production. And this is also before the Manson family murders, which I think... Yeah, well, a lot of people say that that kind of drove Polanski 
a little bit insane and perfectly understandable, I guess. But yeah, we, I, I think we usually, we haven't really said this out loud yet, but we subscribe to the idea that the author is dead. So I don't think we'll be discussing this film through the lens of Polanski being a, um, an alleged sexual assaulter. An alleged child rapist. Yeah. Yeah, not a, not a good look. Yeah, we just had to mention it. Yeah, we're, we're not ignoring it. Um, and it is interesting to see an alleged rapist making a film that very empathetically portrays uh, a victim of assault. Yeah. But I don't really know how much there there actually is to say about that. Yeah, uh, there's, there's a couple of other things that are more interesting to me about this film. Yeah. Uh, first of the title, Repulsion, uh, I did feel fully repulsed. Oh yeah. At many points in the film, uh, the it all. Well, maybe we should do a plot synopsis before we. Yeah. Um. Let's do that. Let's. Greedy. Let's see how short we can, because we always try and keep it short, and it always ends up being like half the runtime. Yeah, yeah. Most of the. <laughs> F. So okay. So what happens in Repulsion is a nail technician called Carol, is living with her sister, and her sister's boyfriend also sort of i don't know um, he just checks in every now and then to leave yeah he's fresh about he's a he's a married man um having an affair with carol's sister helen yeah not super great again it's established that carol does not like men no she is in fact repulsed by men mm-hmm. uh, see me working it in there uh her sister then goes on a holiday with with her cheater boyfriend guy mm-hmm. to the Leaning Tower of Pisa. And what follows is, I don't know how long, 12 days of mm. Carol going insane. Yeah. Uh, she murders two dudes. Uh, one of them was her stalker, who then yeah. broke down her door. She beat him to death with a candlestick. Quite a hefty candlestick. Mm-hmm. Well. Uh, the second one was a landlord who showed up for rent discovered the place in quite a filthy state. Complete disarray. Uh, uh, Him, well, then he tries to rape her. She slices him, tears his ass up with a straight razor. Oh, yeah. uh, And then hides him by tipping a couch over him. Uh, And then the sister comes back. The whole building discovers the crime scene and her, like, limp body underneath the bed. Because that's a normal place to chill out. Uh, although, why am I looking for normal <laughs> no, in a film about very little normal. a woman who goes psychotic and murders two people? Yeah. Then the film ends, boom, bam, uh, and you can all go home. Wow, that was... The shortest yet. That uh, Yeah. I told you. I told you I was going to do it super short. And like, I'm no also going to find some applause effects Yeah. For, to put in there. Nice. Some sweet applause. Um, yeah, excellent synopsis. That's that's what happens in the film. And it was just like five minutes. Yeah, and I mean, well, not even five minutes because we we talked a, quite a bit of shit before that. So yeah. So, but now we have to fill up like thirty minutes with actual content. <laughs> yeah, let's see if we can do it. I think, but I think there is a lot to say about this film. Um, I think it's really incredibly well crafted and put together um, in a way that a lot of like European modern theater is. Everything that's set up is significant. 
everything ties back into the themes and even though it is an hour and 45 minutes it is actually quite compact there's nothing in the film that doesn't need to be there yeah uh, and it's not compact in a way where there's there are too many elements it's a very slow burn film oh yeah but everything sort of has a purpose and it is amazing to me how polanski in this film used bl the black and white medium to such visceral effect yeah because usually absolutely. when i'm watching a black and white film i'm already detached from the action on screen mm -hmm. because you know it's happening in the past yeah it's before they invented color <laughs> yeah and i think you know uh 65 wasn't before color it was just because they couldn't afford color stock to shoot this on um mm. but they do make excellent use of it the lighting is wonderful yeah what wow. was the budget on this uh, 65,000 pounds. That's not a lot for a movie. No. It's a lot if someone would give that to me. Yeah, which please, and thank you. Thanks. <laughs> just, <laughs> just Venmo it to me. Yeah, so a pretty cheap film. Uh, it was distributed by, I can't remember their name, but it's a studio who mostly distributed softcore porn. So even though this is a Polanski film, it is before he hit Hollywood. Um, yeah, it is. I mean, it's clearly a B production. Yeah. Anything that produces softcore porn going into uh, making a film that is serious and as damn serious as Repulsion. Oh, yeah. It's going to end up being quite low budget, quite, you know, it's going to have the B, mm. B movie stamp of approval. So I don't have any more questions about the validity or Oh uh, yeah, Whether it's um, it legitimacy. Our, yeah. yeah. One thing that I did want to say was about the title, Repulsion. Mm -hmm. As the film progresses, we start off, Carol's very clean, very neat. She's living with her sister. Her sister, you know, make cooks and whatever. Yeah, in quite a, maybe not like a super fancy apartment, but a pretty nice apartment. Yeah, it's a decent apartment. I don't believe the city that they're living in is ever established. Or is it London? Um, No, it's, it's shot in London, but it, it's not in London. It's a different um, English city. All right. Generic English city. I think there is a fact, like it is definitely in a specific city, oh, right. but I don't think they actually mention it in the film. Right. Well, it doesn't really matter. Most of the action really is happening in her apartment. Yeah. Anyway. So as the film progresses and as her psychosis develops, she becomes more repulsive and makes her environment more repulsive. Yeah. Like there's... For instance, her sister was going to cook a rabbit. She never got around to cooking the rabbit and left the skinned whole rabbit in the fridge. Yeah. Carol then takes out the rabbit and just leaves it about. Every now and then, she apparently takes a slice or a bite out of this rabbit. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what the story is there. Because uh, the rabbit is diminishing. It's also rotting. But at one point, we do see the rabbit's severed head in her purse. Yeah. Uh, Jeez. Tough times. Yeah. And at the same time that she's getting more repulsive and the apartment is getting truly repulsive, she is also getting more and more repulsed. And yes. More and more kind of neurotic about sexual advances. And that's kind of, I think, what, uh, what most critics focused on is that this is a film about someone who is like completely repulsed by sex, which is true. She is. But I think there's... Uh, more to it than that, her repulsion, that she is al also repulsed by life 
and and I think the sex stuff in some cases stands in for just everything. Yeah. Um, because this woman is clearly depressed. Yeah. Very depressed. Yeah, she is super depressed. I was actually uh, while we were watching this, I, I asked Louis, "Is she on Zolo Max a lot?" Because that's what I look like <laughs> come Monday morning when it's time to take the pills. Yeah, because you only take Zolo Max a lot once a week. No, no, it's just Monday. I take the pills. Uh, Tuesday, it's kind of it's kind of the the inhaler, the aerosol inhaler. Yeah. Uh, Wednesday, it's the roll on. Uh, Thursday injection. Thursday injection. Friday is the gloves. <laughs> it's the gloves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's these cool little gloves. They come. They've got like a whole bunch of needles in them, and they just constantly pump some Maxloft into your hand. Uh, <laughs> and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, you have to rest because you're you're starting to swell. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, but I think she's definitely. If she's not on Zolo Maxiloft, she should be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's one of the big, big symptoms of depression is that sort of disconnection from life and from pleasurable things. So sex, obviously, but also she doesn't go out. She doesn't really eat. She doesn't sleep well. She doesn't converse with others. Yeah, exactly. So, yes, she is repulsed by sex, but she's also repulsed by uh, literally everything. Uh, Another thing that I really liked about the film was the sense of time dilation, where, as you said, slow burn, real slow. Like the first 40 to 50 minutes of the film contains two days when she's with her sister, and then the last uh, hour of the film uh, is 12 days, the length of her sister's holiday. So it's very slow and stretched out in the beginning. And then as, as the film goes on, it squeezes in. And you feel like in this film's time, only like a day or two has passed. But then, you know, she'll in five minutes, she'll show up back at work and uh, her boss will say, you can't just disappear for three days. Yeah. Uh, it is while she's in this malaise state. And also, while she's in that state, the camera work, the cinematography mm. actually gets very tight on her. Yeah. And I don't know if that's limitations of the medium, of the camera that they were shooting on, but it is very tight. And then you, you get that sense of claustrophobia. Absolutely. Where, uh, she is... What's it called when you can't leave the house? Agoraphobia. Agoraphobia, yeah. She's, a, she's agoraphobic. And that sense of the world always pressing in around mm. your house would create a feeling of claustrophobia. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And so that that tightness on her makes the rest of the world kind of recede. There is almost no world beyond the apartment. And that's, you know, how she loses so much time. Because that also often happens uh, in depressive states where you just, you just sit around for days. And yeah. it feels like 10 minutes. It's been an hour. So, I've, yeah, the film in its editing kind of gives us that experience. Yeah, that's what I was saying. The film is so visceral that you really feel what mm. she's feeling and you feel the process of her going insane. And when we finished watching it, there was like a few minutes that we sat there. We were like, oh, God, and we're just, just yeah. quiet, just having to 
reevaluate life <laughs> real quick and <laughs> just be like, climb okay, out cool. of it yeah and she does these re- repulsive things and at the end of the film you feel repulsive yourself you yeah. feel like you're somehow dirtied by what you've seen and what you've experienced yeah. and in that way it actually segues quite nice into my main takeaway from the film mm-hmm. is that it's a film about violation yeah instead of repulsion because the repulsion thing that i mean that's that's pretty easy to i mean it's in the title it's in the title it is the title it is the title it is the whole thing but the violation theme to me came in a lot a lot of the times where she would be keeping to herself in public and uh, she would be catcalled yeah. or for instance colin um the first dude she murders he yeah. sees her from across the road and he sprints after her follows her to a restaurant knocks on the window gets her attention insists to sit with her and then just sort of invites wants to take her to a different restaurant because of food or shit yeah yeah he sort of pulls over a plate and he's like oh this is, he's repulsed by it yeah and he gives it back and that night you know her sister's still there she's okay she doesn't sleep well but later on again when he tries to kiss her when he does pick her up while she she sort of falls into a yeah food state. It, it, um they had made a date so he had made a date saying meet me at seven at the pub yeah um and he waits around uh until eight until eight he has like a conversation with his squad um and he comes out of the pub and he sees her sitting on a bench staring at a crack in the pavement yeah and then he takes her home and uh, while they're sitting in the car he he kisses her yeah and then she's repulsed by the kiss runs inside brushes her teeth but that night she has the first hallucination of being sexually assaulted in her bed yeah by some strange you know yeah it's it's almost like a lynchian apparition character um, yeah he's wearing this white vest and his skin is like it's it's sort of you know in the black and white it's this dark gray yeah so he's kind of grimy yeah and he looks to be moist yeah as well yeah just like a a real predator yeah uh, he's a caricature of a predator and that's exactly what you would conjure up if you were having this hallucination yeah. you would see this stereotypical thing in your head this guy repeatedly assaults her in her hallucinations because every time that a male makes advances on her that night she has yeah. this uh, experience and what i wrote here is every time that her carol's world is invaded by a man she has a hallucination about being raped for her the smaller tran- transgressions amount to repulsive violations yeah uh and at one point she starts to fight back yeah her fight back i guess comes at a point when she's pretty much uh lost it yeah she's gone cu- co- cuckoo or cocoa puff yeah That's or cocoa for cuckoo puffs maybe either way they're both delicious yeah um and she's in the flat everything is rotting around her she's not taking care of herself she's not you know cleaning up she's really struggling with kind of day-to-day tasks and colin shows up yeah and he's banging on the door and going crazy and uh, i mean eventually he literally breaks down the door like every other male in this film colin cannot not have his way 
Yeah. He's incapable of not winning in a situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or having his opinion be the dominant one. Uh, it's not the same when he's around his squad, the dudes in the bar. Yeah, the boys. Because it's a woman, he now feels that he has to dominate the situation. He has to. I mean, she's not talking to him and he's yelling at her. Eventually, she lets slip a no. Yeah. And this sets him off. Yeah, he. that's when he breaks the door down. And he kind of tries to get her sympathy, I suppose, by saying like, oh, I can't stop thinking about you. I'm so miserable without you. But there's a very important line that her sister says after her sister sees that she's thrown Michael's... Um, razor and toothbrush into the dustbin because he keeps putting it in her glass yeah and she that's her glass that's her glass don't invade she drinks from it yeah don't invade her personal space her sister says it's not about you you silly little fool yeah and i believe that's also the case with colin and with the landlord later who we'll discuss but i think colin is in a sea of quotation marks uh, in love with carol but really it's exactly what you say it's his desire to dominate to win uh to be the man yeah yeah it's not actually uh, about carol at all yeah he's not really concerned with her he just he cannot handle being rejected by this person yeah and you know he's just like incels today uh who i mean they feel like they deserve a woman yeah you know, like, the, it's part of the package to, deal. To a frightening extent. Yeah, and they, I mean, they're obsessive terrorists, but this guy was just an average dude in mm-hmm. the 60s. This is sort of a product of its time, and it's interesting to me how uh, Polanski chose to portray a film that's about paranoia and, you know, schizophrenia, essentially, a paranoid schizophrenic film chose to make the paranoia about men yeah you know it's uh, first of all it's ironic and second of all it's very ahead of its time yeah it's really well done can't get away from the fact that it is really well done it's still a roman polanski film i mean it's sure it's a b movie and it's his first english but we mentioned it's his first english production so he really i mean it's raw in many ways but he is still Mm. A genius director yeah because what i find so interesting about colin is that he isn't you know he isn't like the the predator in her hallucinations as wild animal or anything he's actually portrayed as a very i guess like sensitive caring in a sense maybe but for it his shows, time yeah I, but, but like it, he what i mean to say is that he shows that you don't have to be a monster to be a sex criminal yeah, yeah. Like that normal, everyday blokes are also rapists. Yeah, it comes again to those smaller violations against Carol. Mm. Because she, everything about the way she's handling Colin is rejection. Yeah. It's flat out I mean, rejection. every step of the way. No interest, right? She basically goes with him uh, when he takes her home the one time because she's still in that weird fugue state yeah. where she can't really react to her environment and this dude's just taking her somewhere. What I'm trying to say is that everything that Colin does 
all these smaller transgressions, these smaller violations, leads up to Carol developing this overall sense of being fully violated. Yeah. And that's what the, the hallucinations mean, is these smaller things to her are intense, deep violations. Yeah, and, and they are in a sense that uh, they also dehumanize her. You know, again, it's not about you. It, they all kind of take away from who she is and yeah. reduce her to this, you know, like beautiful uh, nymph-like yeah, it's like, sex object. Uh, in the film Soylent Green. I haven't seen Soylent Green. We'll have to get to it because I believe it may be in our wheelhouse. Oh, yeah. But in that film, they refer to women in their society as furniture, like sofas. Oh, God. Yeah, so you have a sofa at home means that you have a female slave in your house. So it, it's in many ways, it's sort of that thing where it is dehumanizing, it's breaking her down. Yeah. And she ends up basically being a piece of furniture that everything's happening to her. But like you said, it's not about her. Yeah. That is until she starts fighting back. Um, when she, uh, Colin is bursting the door, they're fighting. While he's fighting, she's standing there quietly. Yeah. Um, and as he turns to close the door, she gives him a mighty whack on the back of the head. But she also does it while visually she's still in that non-responsive state. Yeah. She does it in a very relaxed, very sort of meek way yeah she's still like in a trance yeah almost, until uh she sees the the blood spurt from his head yeah then she kind of freaks a little bit begins panicking tries to wash some of the blood yeah um, notices that the door is of course broken yeah boards it up with like a shelf and some nails and using the the murder weapon the candelabra to knock in the nails and she she pops his body in the bathtub yeah a tub which in one of her earlier uh psychotic episodes uh she had filled up and never yeah she never flooded cut the off bathroom. The, the tap so she's i mean just the damp alone god damn it uh her downstairs neighbors must not be happy oh, no. they might even be repulsed <laughs> honey where's this mold coming from it's I so know. repulsive. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, after after she kills Colin, her hallucinations become much more powerful. And she, throughout, we've been seeing this kind of leitmotif of, of cracks. And there's like a crack near their air conditioning or like ventilation shaft, which seems like it might be a real crack. Yeah, it does. It's just a normal hairline sort of fracture in the wall. Yeah. But uh, after Colin's death, the walls just like tear apart. These giant cracks burst through the walls. Yeah, it's it's a visual metaphor for her worldview, her psyche shattering. Yeah. Uh, and it does look, I mean, it's you can tell it's a soundstage. Uh, mm -hmm. But in that moment, it transforms almost into theater. Yeah. Where, you know, the set in theater can move and stuff. And it takes away from sort of the realism of the moment. Yeah. And it gives it that edge of 
hallucinatory. Yeah, we're you know. we're essentially it's like expressionistic or subjective, like yeah. we are seeing her experience. Yeah, and then obviously, as it turns out, the wall doesn't have the perfect jaggedy line cut into it, and it's not chomping up and down like big fake teeth. Yeah, but the damage is internal to her psyche. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And it might be that you know the house is supposed to be a safe space. And the crack starts with kind of Michael spending a lot of time there with Helen and then with Colin coming in and then finally with the landlord. Yeah. Um, another awesome, talking about the set, another really awesome technique similar to the, the time dilation in the film is that uh, at one point she's walking through the house and everything is suddenly huge. Like yeah. the the living room is massive and the little pieces of furniture are like these little islands in an ocean of living room and the corridor just seems to go on forever and ever and ever. This um, is at the height of her main episode yeah. though. This is like right before she's discovered. Oh, is that is it no no no, there's one after Colin, where the house is big, and one after the landlord. Okay, so it's every. Okay, so it's a repeating motif. Yeah, that's quite cool. I didn't, I didn't pick it up, but I, now but that that's... you mention it, I do realize that in one of the later shots, she's sort of standing uh, near the couch that's covering the landlord, and yeah, it's just huge. The space yeah. is huge. It's the couch. It's tiny. And at first, I when I because I I saw it twice now. Um, when I first saw it, I was. I was just like a little unnerved. I just had this kind of feeling that something's kind of changed, something's not exactly right. And then you realize they actually literally made the set bigger. Also, yeah, a brilliant little piece of, of expressionistic filmmaking. Yeah, fantastic. We're using some new microphones, so there might be some technical issues. We, we, don't, know, we don't know how that's going to play out in the edit yet. It's uh, going to play out like a 11-year-old like a balloon. That's disgusting. Repulsive. So let's talk about the landlord's murder. Uh, All right. Colin's murder is almost the lead up to or a taster for the landlord's murder. Yeah, Colin's, the way that she murders Colin is not very graphic. No. Uh, it, it's not very upsetting. It seems more like she's just in the moment overwhelmed and feels threatened and has to murder him. But with the landlord, she she slices that dude up. She yeah. tears him up. It's a whole nother story. So the landlord comes in. He's looking for the rent, which Carol, in her kind of dissociated state, has forgotten to, to drop off. Yeah. So the landlord comes in. He spends quite a bit of time criticizing the state of the house. He's very upset about the rent, obviously. And then he starts constructing this narrative about Carol. Yeah. He says, oh, your sister's away. You must be very lonely. You must be in need of some company. And I think anyone can tell where this is going. First, he offers to uh, let her off for the rent in exchange for taking care of him. Yeah. Which she does. But in a mafia way, not yeah. in a massage parlor way. Yeah, I think he was talking to the wrong person. Oh, yeah. 
he really creeps it up and he kind of climbs on top of her. Um, she fights him off. He comes for her again. And then she, with a straight razor, slits the back of his neck. Yeah, it's quite, it's quite upsetting. He stumbles backwards and she then just goes at him with the straight yeah. razor, mashes up his face, basically turns him into mincemeat and he dies a gargling death choking on his own blood. Yeah, and uh, you know, it gave me a really physical uh, reaction because, you know, nicking yourself with a razor is a very relatable thing. Everyone's felt that. And so yeah. you just imagine that times a hundred. Yeah. And the way it was shot, the cinematography is also very great because it's shot from his perspective and then she's sort of hacking at him with the straight razor. You can hear uh, his reaction and you can almost feel the straight razor coming at you because she's slicing past the camera and then you hear that the sound of the razor blade scraping on bone and... Man, it's almost like being there just without the cuts. Yeah. I guess that actually, that relates to something else that I really want to talk about. And that's the sound design for this film. Yeah. It is so good. I think it might actually be my favorite part of the film. Beyond the soundtrack, even. The way they're using diegetic sound here is as this kind of constant gnawing tension. So, Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of repetitive noise like her clock ticking or the nuns across the street ringing a bell or the phone ringing or the doorbell ringing so all these like really harsh uh i guess like very trebly sounds that yeah keep repeating and keep coming back and we've said that every time she's violated or put upon by a man uh, she has the hallucination of the predator and it also seems to be presaged every time by the nun's bell ringing. Yeah. And during those assault scenes, the sound goes uh, completely off except for the okay. clock, Yeah, I think. Uh, it is very upsetting uh, to have to watch, you know, a rape scene like that. Well, it's always upsetting to have to watch a rape scene, but uh, to have to watch a scene like that with, no sound you can see Mm -hmm. she's screaming and freaking out and that's the only time that she's screaming or yelling or raising her voice in the whole film and we don't get to hear it yeah and uh i think that that plays to it being internal yeah you know the you can't hear her scream because she's screaming on the inside yeah it's and it's her yeah exactly her inability to to reach out for help yeah because a lot of people ask her like hey what's wrong how are you feeling what's up a lot but of people she, he, try to be there for her. Yeah, but she she just can't express that. Yeah, man, it, it's quite a quite a tough a tough situation for someone to be in. Mm. It's no wonder that her psyche cracked. Uh, but also another thing about the sound design that I wanted to say was, whenever her sister is there, there is an underlying sort of ambient noise of people screaming uh, and fighting. Yeah. Uh, and it sounds like a domestic dispute, whatever is it, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's building that tension. Yeah. Even when her sister is at home, there's still conflict in yeah. there. Absolutely. And this now just made me realize that while her sister is there, you can hear the outside world. 
there's also kind of like traffic and uh, birds and whatever. Yeah, general hubbub. But when she's alone, it's only those really harsh sounds that you hear. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Also plays to her world become becoming smaller. Yeah. Because when her sister is there, she sort of brings some of the outside world in. But when it's just her, the outside world is gone. She's mm -hmm. isolated in this apartment. I mean, the only thing she ever looks at on her own from the apartment are the nuns playing. And they're sort of playing. She can only see a small section of the field that they're playing. Yeah, like the nunnery's backyard. Yeah, so even that is very isolated and it's far away. And that's sort of the one other, one of the small pockets of civilization mm. that she can actually reach. Uh, the other one, of course, being the, the lady living across from her. Yeah, who, who takes her doggy out for walkies. Yeah, and that's pretty much as close as she gets to human contact. Yeah, that and her co-workers. Her boss seems to really care about her. Um, but when she asks Carol, like, what's going on? What's the matter with you? Carol can only come up with a really shitty lie saying one of my aunts came to town suddenly. Yeah. So, yeah, she's even in that cut off from that person. I think the closest relationship she has outside of the one to her sister and even that one might not be super close. Yeah, because she never actually opens up. Yeah. Uh, is with Bridget. There's like oh, yeah. one single moment of levity and happiness yeah. where they t just laugh at Bridget, her co-worker, kind of retelling the story of a Charlie Chaplin film. Which sounds not very funny. Not so funny. Yeah. Like, I mean, even in the 60s, Chaplin was like, no. that was like classic stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it was weird, uh, but she she seemed to enjoy it, and I guess that's what matters. But it is the only time we see her smile or laugh. Yeah, and it's uh, telling, of course, that it's with a, a female friend who yeah. is on the same kind of socioeconomic and class level. Yeah, and then as soon as a female friend mentions her male companion, the levity leaves the situation. Yeah, she just goes like, blank again. Yeah. So it's quite interesting. She's surrounded by people, right? So her sister, who is in a turbulent relationship because it's uh, an affair. Yeah. Uh, Bridget, who also who is also in a turbulent relationship, because we see her getting dropped off by her beau at one point and giving him a kiss. And then in the next scene, she's crying because he dumped her. And then in the next scene, they're back together again. Yeah, and um, everything's hunky-dory. Yeah, and they're all, they seem to be happy, or at least normal. Yeah. Um, and the nuns that she keeps looking at are also very happy, and they obviously are not in relationships. Well, they are. Well, with Jesus. With Jesus. <laughs> so I feel like she can't find happiness in her virginity like the nuns or in having a sexual relationship yeah it does seem like she can't find happiness in everything she's in always, anything yeah she's always too busy staring into the cracks of the world and not that that there's anything wrong with that i feel like it's a good thing to sometimes notice the cracks absolutely and to go like we should fix that uh and she does actually tell her sister at one point 
when it's just a normal crack, she's like, we should get that crack fixed. Yeah. Uh, and her sister just goes straight past her. And, mm -hmm. you know, and that's sort of illustrating maybe uh, her way to try and reach out and to be like, hey, um, there's actually something wrong that I can't talk about. Yeah, I need some help. Yeah. Um, uh, shitty way to do yeah. it. Another thing that goes throughout the film is that kind of miscommunication where people are having a dialogue, but a, like two simultaneous dialogues. Yeah. Like we see that there where she says, we should have that crack fixed. And the sister says, what? And she says, the crack. And then the doorbell rings and everyone's kind of keeps talking past each other. Yeah, no one's really listening to each other. Yeah. Uh, it's very Ethel Fugard in that way. <laughs> We shall not speak that name yeah. on this podcast. Gosh, I hate him. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, and we see that again, for instance, when Colin is talking to the boys and 1960s John Oliver, one of his best friends, mm -hmm. um, is just keeps asking about the other friend's cousin while other friend and Colin are having a conversation about, um, about Carol. Uh, his friend does leave him hanging. No, true. He starts a conversation and then just starts a different conversation. Yeah, and that keeps happening because I yeah. think these people don't really uh, care about what the other one has to say. Yeah, or if they're interested or not. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And then the soundtrack I also thought was quite interesting. Uh, the most interesting progression for me in the soundtrack is we have these uh, city walkabout scenes where uh -huh. we're just kind of following Carol walking. That's yeah. what she does. And at first, we get this like really lively flute jazz kind of stuff. It, it feels like 1960s walking in a city music. Yeah. But then as it continues, it becomes harsher and darker. Eventually, it's just these like hard percussive hits, like this kind of. <laughs> yeah. It's not it's not entirely music at that point. Yeah. It's more threatening, more audio assault. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 they kind of mimic all the bells and all the ringing yeah, that yeah. that we hear throughout the film. Yeah, and it's also I mean she's walking through traffic and that sound then blends in with the traffic sound. Yeah, well. there's a lot of brass, like a lot of horns as well. Yeah. yeah. No, it's fantastic. So Louis. Yes. If you had to rate this film out of one to three days spent in a fugue state just murdering folks and getting gross um i'd pre i would prefer not to go back to that okay. but i would give it three okay all right so you were murdering <laughs> folks at a time i feel threatened uh-oh i give it two days of fearful paranoia <laughs> Um, man, this is a, a really good film. It is very good. Uh, but it does, again, just to, just to clarify, it is a B film. The budget, the studio. Yeah. I mean, uh, Catherine Deneuve's, uh, Carol's uh, performance, I think she's quite bad. Mm -hmm. um, but in a way that just works... Perfectly yeah, it works for the film. For that, uh, dissociated yeah. sort of detachment from reality because she does play it flat. Yeah. And, and I don't know if that's 
a choice. Yeah. <laughs> or if that's just how how she acts. I wonder maybe it's just really good casting. Yeah. She's it, either brilliant or awful. Yeah. It works either way. And then you can find us on Facebook. Hit us up. Uh, we're Be Positive on Facebook, at Stay Scary on Twitter, uh, and on Instagram, I'm Fraser Chonji. I don't know if anyone actually checks out my Instagram, who knows, uh, or Please, yeah. the Twitter or the Facebook. But I think what we should do is start a Facebook group instead of a page. It's a little bit more interactive. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, we're very responsive on all of these things. Yeah, absolutely. You can follow me on Instagram as well, Louis Rue. I'm up there on yep. Post Photos. Post Photos, post some fan fiction and some really distressing horoscopes. Yeah. Um, what I find most distressing about the horoscopes is, is that actual astrology accounts start following me. Yeah. Um, so that just tells me that they didn't read it. Yeah, either they didn't read it or <clears throat> they enjoy the sweet, sweet irony <laughs> of the situation. It might be. Um, the best way that you can help out our podcast is by telling people. Yeah. Share it with your friends and interact with us. We, we would love to hear from you guys. Yeah, and again, uh, be smart with your recommendations. Recommend to the people who you think will actually listen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, tactical recommendations only. And, you know, uh, rating us on the iTunes. If you've got any feedback about sound quality even. Hit us up. We're using some nice new equipment that uh, we got from Canis Radio HQ. Yeah, in China. Uh, so let us know if that was a mess. Yeah, hit or miss. Tell us. And then as always, you stay scary. That's a spooky arm coming out of the wall. <gasps> we didn't even mention the clay we had, wall. <laughs> we didn't talk about the clay wall oh. or the wall arms. Okay, so uh, just at the end. <laughs> P.S. This is our post-credit scene. Uh, at the end, well, during the movie, there is this wall that sort of turns to clay, and yeah. then all these hands burst out, and they just grope the shit out of her. Uh, and um, there are some hands that jump out and grab her, and very near the end, just arms everywhere. And again, the set has changed, and the, the hallway is much narrower. Yeah, she has to sort of crawl through these arms yeah. to get anywhere. It's not pleasant. Uh, and that actually brings me to the name of my non-existent novel yes. called Groped by the Putty Hole. <laughs> and there's, there's also... Coming to Amazon Singles uh, next week? Yeah, or, when, or never. Who knows? Uh, and also there's a, the spoon band at the, at the one point. Uh, the spoon players are great. And the spoons are another example of repetitive, annoying sound. Yeah, but I actually like that. That was sort of my jam. Really? Yeah. Maybe we should start a spoon, a spoon band. band. And we'll call our first, uh, first mixtape will be called Clickety Clack. <laughs> or Clickety Clompity if we're um, walking around and making music. Yeah. Mm. I don't know how they do it, man. Walking around and playing the spoons. Spoon is a tough instrument. Oh, to yeah. Easy, easy to start, difficult to master. And almost impossible to stop. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, okay, so I think that was a pretty good...